for future references on the podcast, if you ever hear this noise, that is Karen <laughs> or I saying, let's go four wide and hit the long ball. Can we just take a time out and say the podcast does beneficial things for players? It's true. Pitta had his best game in years after coming on the podcast. It's the podcast bump. Welcome into the lounge. I am Ryan Mink. And I'm Garrett Downing, and we're going to dive into that game against the Browns just the way everyone kind of expected that one to play out, right? Oh, yeah. Ne- no no doubt. No <laughs> Never, doubt. Never had doubt. a doubt. No. Uh, but before we do that, we always start off each podcast reading some fan feedback. And so I've got an email here, Garrett, from John Whitlock. Uh, who is still loving the show in Toronto. Nice. Another international fan. Another international fan. I tell you what, we're a hit abroad. (laughs) Get your passport ready, Garrett, because we're going to be staying on some people's couches. Yeah, we need to take this show all over the road. Toronto, Sweden. Go. Let's go everywhere. Have you ever been out of the country? Yes, I've been out of the country. All right, fine. (laughs) Ready? So uh, our boy here, John Whitlock, says he has an idea. Shoot me down if it's by no means a fit for the podcast. I can take it, says John. He says, long story short, I'm coming down for the Raiders game from Toronto, doing a whirlwind eight-hour drive each way for the occasion, and thought maybe a fan interview slash clip would work in the podcast. I'd love to be the first guest, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, on your podcast. So what do you think, Garrett? You're in charge of it. I'm going to leave this up to you. You're the judge here. Are you giving John a thumbs up or thumbs down? It's all on you. So you're trying to make you're trying to set me up to be the bad guy. Is clearly what you're doing here. Here's what you, I would say. You can make yourself the bad I'm guy. I'm all for John doing it, and I think that if he's coming down for the game, it would only be in, and we're going to bring him on the podcast. It would only be fitting if if someone covers the cost of his trip. And so if we're bringing him on, you cover the. I'll say yes, he can come on. You have to cover the cost of his trip, and we'll call it even. So. Are you in? So that's a no, John. That's a big, <laughs> fat no on that one. Sorry, buddy. Um, but we have received emails about getting fan feedback, uh, kind of a fan segment on the show. And, and to be quite honest, uh, why we haven't done that yet, and, and we haven't made a final determination on whether we ever will do that, but uh, we're kind of trying to separate ourselves from a lot of the sports talk radio shows in which you have fan call in and things like that. And uh, this is kind of a different conversation. Plus, we just can't get enough of each other's voice, yeah. really. Uh, so, but, but we also like the emails because a lot of these emails that have come in have been very thoughtful, some good ideas about the guests that people want to see on the show. And the email is the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. And if you have a question, a Ravens question, you know, via email, you can send that to us, and, and maybe we'll get to that. We also do the mailbag, you and I. Yeah. Do the mailbag every single week in which we get questions from fans via Facebook, via Twitter, all those things. And one of the actual suggestions that we got in an email for guests who people would like to see on the show, this is one of the first emails that we got, was Sharice Wright and Jimmy Smith. They were high school teammates together. That's correct. And we're going to have Sharice and Jimmy on the podcast later this week, so make sure you check that out. That's going to uh, most likely come out on Thursday. So your emails do matter. Yes, they absolutely matter. We read all of them. Absolutely. So, uh, Garrett, before we dive into the game, I think we have to start out and, and uh, talk about Clarence Brooks. And obviously it was an emotional weekend uh, with his passing on Saturday. And, uh, you know, what to you, what stands out in your mind when, when you think about Clarence Brooks? Uh, to me, and, you know, and it was just really sad to get the phone call, you know, obviously on, on Saturday. To me what stands out about CB is that the way the players loved him. 
And it's not a cliche thing where you can say with a lot of coaches, oh, he's a player's coach or the guys really like him or anything like that. With CB, it was absolutely genuine. And you saw that in the tributes that players wanted to put out there. I mean, it's rare for a guy to last in one place as long as he did. You know, he was here in Baltimore for, for 12 years. And there's not a lot of people around the NFL that last in one place that long. And the reason that he was able to do that is, A, he was a great coach. You know, there's something he was one of, the, one of the best assistant coaches in the NFL, I think you can safely say. And he connected with his players. And, like, he's one of those guys that if you talk to any of those players, they would run through a brick wall for him. And that just stands out about what makes him a unique guy. Right. Unfortunately, we don't get to see a lot of that off-the-field stuff that he does with players and taking them under his wing. We don't exactly get to see that. But from my perspective, what I saw uh, watching practice and, and you know even just talking to him briefly in the hallway and whatnot, uh, CV was just a fun guy. I mean, he's just one of those guys that, that – He makes you uh, laugh. That he makes you laugh. He makes life better because, I mean, I just loved hearing him just – MF is the word of the week here. Uh, just MF the players up and down on the practice field. And not in like, you know, a lot of football coaches will cuss at their players and get mad and, and all that stuff. But, uh, but few, of, you know, few of them, the player came away from that interaction kind of with a grin on their face and, and then honestly uh, felt a sense of pride to do it better for him. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference between belittling a player, I think, yes. and, and bullying a player. Uh, and and doing what CB did, where you knew it was like coming from a place of love, and he ma- he did it in a funny way. I mean, gosh, he, guys would just be laughing, yeah. you know. And um, so that's what I love. He he he's an example of a guy that makes life better. He, he was a tough love guy, no doubt about that. But the word that I kept hearing when players were talking about him were, were things like leader, mentor, oh, father sure. figure. Big you, heart. You know, and, and you don't have that for everybody, and uh, he's, he's going to be missed around here. You know, every time that we saw him as he was going through this cancer treatment in the building, I feel like he kind of lifted the spirits of those around him, and uh, he's definitely, definitely going to be missed. Absolutely. And the Ravens dedicated yesterday's game to him, and they got the W for Clarence up in heaven, even though he might have been cussing a little bit up there. <laughs> Early. And that first quarter, it wasn't too good. It was not a happy camper. I, I loved Harps' story with that Wink said in the locker room. We sure we let this guy into heaven? Are we sure we want this guy? He's, he's kind of losing it up here. Right. Lose cannon up here. So, uh, so very glad the Ravens got the W for him, and, and we'll kind of make the hard pivot here to talk about the game. Uh, so, Garrett, I got the same question that I had last week for you. Does this win make you feel more confident about the Ravens <laughs> or more concerned about the Ravens? Yeah. I, last week I said more confident, and uh, I have trouble – doubling down on the confidence after uh, yesterday's <laughs> game. I mean, it was good. I do think it matters to be able to win tough games. I think there's something to be said for that. Harbaugh has talked all summer long about playing winning football, knowing how to win close games. And, you know, players talked about that in the locker room a little bit after the game that, hey, this is a game that we don't win last year. And so, and that's true. that They don't win that kind of game last year, whether it's a call that goes against them or whether it's a big play that goes against them late in the game. But – you know, I am now two games in. I have some concerns about a number of different areas. You know, the running game, I think, is chief among them, along with the, some aspects of the offensive line. And then to me, I wonder, okay, what is this defense? You know, w- what is the secondary? Because after the first game, I feel like we were saying secondary is the strength of the defense. The secondary, all the offseason moves, they've paid dividends. And then, you know, on Sunday, you know, they settled down after that first quarter. 
but it was a rough start to that game. Yeah, and I think that the rough start, in a way, overshadows uh, the very bad one quarter overshadows the good three quarters, right? I mean, it, you just felt it was so jarring what happened at the beginning of this game that you kind of forget that the Ravens dominated the Browns for three quarters. Yeah. And the score could have been definitely more lopsided than it turned out to be. I mean, Joe Flacco threw an interception in the end zone. Granted, so did they basically on the last game, on the last play of the game. Um, you know, didn't get it on fourth down and very close. There, there were a few times where this game could have been much more lopsided in the Ravens' favor, and, and we would have been all feeling better about it, I think. So, and when you really step back and uh, th- look through the shock of what happened in the first quarter, you say, all right, they had an 85-yard run. Do I have concerns about the run defense after that? No, not really. I mean, that was a bad, bad play. Yeah, that's one bad, of Bad, bad play. That's one of those, like, the big play, you kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say you throw it out the window, but you look at it and you say, like, that's a play that happens maybe once a year. Right. What concerns you more is when teams just run consistently and they're popping four or five yards on you every single run. You just can't stop them. After that, then I'm saying, man, we got some run defense problems, you know, but that wasn't the case, really. No. Um, so, really, the first drive was more concerning to me than the second, Brown's second touchdown drive on the long run and their third one, which was a short field coming right after an interception. They're already in field goal range. On that one, and granted, you want to keep him out of the end zone. It's not, you know, it's not a positive to let him in there. But the first drive concerned me, and that was really just a case of, to me, Josh McCown making some plays. I mean, he stood in there and took at least two big shots on that first drive to convert on third down. Where sometimes you got to tip your hat to the opposing quarterback and say, "Man, all right." But I'll say this too. The Ravens' defense made him pay for those shots later in the game. His right arm, I'm not sure if he has one today. <laughs> well, he's not going to play this next week. He's Sorry, not... his left arm. Yeah. He doesn't have a left arm today. He's not going to play next week. I mean, the Browns are going to have to make another – Yeah, the Browns are going to have to make another quarterback change. So, you know – He put all his eggs in that basket for that game, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Well, you know what's so funny is, like, everyone is – and I said last week when we were talking about winning ugly or all those things, like, I don't think it really matters how you win. And I still stand by that because – I've just seen so many games over the over the season that they're close games, and no matter which way they go, all that matters is that you get a win. It can be ugly, it can be close, it can be against a team that you feel like you should beat by much more. But as long as you win, it doesn't really matter. But it just doesn't like when the feeling of it. I don't feel a sense of jubilation around town. No, I don't think you come out of this game saying like. Oh, boy, here we go. Book your tickets to Houston. Perfect 2-0 start to the season. No, I don't think that anybody's feeling like that, including the Ravens. I think that they're upfront about saying, we have to improve. We have to get better. The offense needs to start clicking more consistently, for sure. Heck, all 32 NFL offenses say that. Um, But the run game definitely isn't there yet. I think the passing game isn't quite in sync. I mean, as good as – as happy as I am to see – our guy, Dennis Pitta, can we just take a time out and say the podcast is, does beneficial things for players? It's true. Pitta had his best game in years after coming on the podcast. It's the podcast bump, officially. Eric Weddle comes on the podcast earlier this year. Interception. Justin Tucker does a podcast Clutch. preseason. Hasn't missed a kick yet. Who else have we had on the podcast? Steve Smith. Sure. Yep. Back to I mean, History. He's a top 10. Top 10. And Terrell sucks. 
Podcast bump is official. Hashtag podcast bump. Let's get it started. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we're going to start pitching it when we get to go to players now for the interview request. Yeah, we have a story to tell. Terrell Suggs got the big sack at the end of the first game. It's true. It's the lounge bump. Lounge bump. Okay, yeah, you're right. The lounge bump. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that – nobody is denying that there's some, some problems right now and that they have to get better. But I will say that it's okay, I think – it's better to have those issues early in the season and get dubs than it is to still have those issues later in the year. If weeks 16, you know, the Ravens still can't run the ball, I'm going to be concerned. Or even week 12, you know what I mean? Very more concerned than I am now. More than when you have the issues, I think it's more important that you have the issues and you get to work on solving them when you're 2-0. For sure. Because, you know, last year they didn't get their second win of the season until November. The second win came on November 1st last year. Now, two games into the year, the Ravens are tied with the Steelers for having a perfect start, and there's something to be said for that. And winning these close games matter. Let's not forget, too, in, in 2011, the Ravens lost some stinkers, including one down in Jacksonville to a Jacksonville Jaguars team that is not as talented as this one that they're going to face on Sunday. Right. They lost to the bad teams and beat the good teams that year, and you really had no clue – who the Ravens really were going into the playoffs. Now we look back at that 2011 team and say, man, that, should, that team could have been Super Bowl champions for sure. Um, but I remember during that year, there were some bad losses, and it made you doubt who they were. Now the Ravens have some, let's call them bad wins mm-hmm. <laughs> so far to start the season. You're 2-0 and with a couple bad wins. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And I think that there's still a lot of time to determine who this team is going to be. Wasn't the Chiefs? Was it? Did they play the Chiefs uh, the Super Bowl year when they won like six to three on the it road might have been, in Kansas yeah. City? It might have been, and, and you know, and that was the I game. think it was, that was the Super Bowl year, I think. And that was like just such an ugly game, and everyone was like, "How can you be even close for the Chiefs?" Um, at the time, they were talking about firing the general manager and firing the coach, and that was a whole storyline. And then it's an ugly win, and guess what? The ugly wins don't matter late in the year. That's very very true. So, do you think that? Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk after the game that oh, a win like that early in the season will pay dividends down the road. I think you, it can. That? Yeah, I think that there is something to be said for knowing how to keep, um, how to win close games and what goes into that, how to play well at the end of games, how to keep your head in it when you're down early, how to overcome difficulties within a game. And like, you know, I just think that there is absolutely something to be said for that. And the Ravens, they've, you know, Joe Flacco was the one that brought it up. He's the one that really kind of first opened this, opened Pandora's box, so to speak, on this ish- issue by saying, this is what we've done over the course of our career. And then when you get into December and January and February and you're in these situations again, you've been there a number of times and you don't, it doesn't phase you. Well, people always talk about what makes the Ravens so good in the playoffs. You know, I mean, Every time under Coach Harbaugh, the Ravens made it to the playoffs, they've won at least one game. Yep. And uh, that's rare. They've been uh, – they are the exception to the rule in terms of playoff success. And I think that when you look back on it, it's stuff like this. And it's, I think it's especially important for young players to feel that and they look around and see how are the veterans acting, you know, how, how, how does the – how do the coaches react, all of that. And uh, they take their cues. And when they can pull off a big comeback like that, then they are more prepared in in future instances. Contrast that with what I saw in Cleveland yesterday. Yesterday, after the Ravens go up 20 nothing, and it's right before halftime, and I'm going to grab um, a water from the uh, in the press box, I run into a couple of Browns reporters that I know. 
and I start just chatting with them. And they're like, yep, I'm just getting ready to write the game story for the greatest comeback in Baltimore Ravens history. I'm sure it's going to happen. It's another Browns disaster. And I'm like, they're up 18 points. How is this even a conversation right now? Like, how are you? Uh, like, they felt worse than I felt like Ravens fans felt at that time. They were had, you know, less optimism. And that's years and years of covering a team that finds ways to lose and a lot of pessimism after out of those guys. And, and so you think that that kind of – that can percolate through a franchise to the players, you think? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think that what the reporters say necessarily right, right. matters, but I think that, like, that there's feeling. probably guys on the bench that are having those same kinds of feelings. You know, i I got to believe it. You know, people that have been there a long time. And it go, works the other way, too. You know, when you have guys on the Ravens bench who have been through it all and they've come out on top of it, then they're probably thinking the same thing. Okay, you know, Mike Wallace was like, for Joe Flacco, he's looking at him, and they're all kind of looking around. Everybody does. Like, how are people going to respond to this? And he sees Flacco like, yeah, we're down 20, whatever. And he's like, that's just the way he makes you feel. And that's a good thing, I believe. All right, moving it forward. Uh, so we talked about how this win is beneficial, how it could be beneficial down the line, all the things we liked. Now it's time for a lot of people's favorite segment, What Went Wrong? Is this a segment? <laughs> Not a segment, but people, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks out there, they want to know what went wrong. They'd rather talk about that than what went right. Yeah, it's more fun to talk about the negative stuff. That's what it, everyone especially likes. Especially for you, Garrett, because you're so pessimistic. No, that, yeah, that, that pessimism of... Exactly. It comes with you. It came from Cleveland with you. Exactly. Good thing I'm a ray of sunshine. Uh, so what, Garrett, since you're so negative, what's wrong with the offense right now? Well, I think there's... There's been an inability to run the ball. I mean, they did have some success running the ball late and milk, you know, salted away a lot of the clock. But when it ter- in terms of like establishing the run early in games and having a lot of success in that area, it just hasn't happened yet at all. And so then why is that? It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what's going on there. I mean, I think the offensive line, you know, I believe, and I think a lot of people believe it could be a strength that you have these players. You have, and I think Ronnie Stanley's been good. Rick Wagner's been playing really well. Marshall Yonda's still one of the best. But the offensive line as a whole hasn't been great. They're, Joe Flacco's still getting hit too much. There's not huge lanes in the running game. So that's been a problem. And then I think with the passing game, you know, I think part of what's going on there is just the lack of uh, time together for some of the guys. Uh, I think that could be part of it. You know, Steve hasn't had a ton of time with Joe this year. Or, you know, Steve is just coming back in the second game. Perryman obviously hasn't had a ton of time. So I think there's something to be said. And I think, honestly, that's why in yesterday's game when Joe was like, we just need to move the ball, he was just feeding it to Pitta because he's like, I know where Pitta's going to be. I know where to find him. I know mm-hmm. he can make tough catches. And so I'm just going to work it to him. The one known quantity, quality or whatever it is in the offense. Yeah, exactly. You know what you're getting in Pitta. Yeah, and those two guys, they trust each other. They have a rapport. And so he's like, I'm just going to feed it to him, march it down the field by giving it to Pitta. And it worked. And uh, but I still think you got to figure out those things for the other guys. Yeah, unfortunately, I've seen the offense sometimes become a little too reliant on Dennis Pitta back before his hip injuries, and you're like, all right, got to find some other targets here because the defense can key on, in on that eventually. The Browns really didn't, I don't think, scheme up Pitta all that much. I think they were putting attention elsewhere. That's going to change when a guy mm-hmm. goes out there and catches what he had ten catches for hundred some yards. Like that's going to change. Nine, in, yeah, yeah, that's going to change in the future weeks. Yeah. Uh, I, I think with the running game, I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't good last year. No. They have not figured it out uh, since the beginning of last year. And that's something they got to get better at. And it's telling when Joe's basically 
I think Joe said it after the game where Harbs said we had to run it outside because Danny Shelton was stuffing everything in the middle in the middle of the field between the tackles. So that's why they were running all those pitches and tosses and, and things like that. That's telling you something. If you can't run the ball between the tackles, you're going to have trouble running the ball, period, because that's where a lot of it's done. Oh, yeah. And uh, But so, it's so weird. Like, why can't they run when you have Yonda? Yonda can't block everybody. No, he can't. But Rick Wagner's pretty good, too. I don't. That's the thing. Like, I can't I mean, figure out why they can't run. That I struggle to figure answer that question. Well, I, I think you know Justin has to show a little bit more. I think he's got to show a little bit more explosion. Terrence West, you know, is he hasn't. You don't have a. You don't have a right now. I think we we all in the preseason were saying this. You have a lot of depth at running back. You have a lot of good options. But do you have the great option? You have the great option. That was always the question. And so far, we haven't seen a great option emerge, if we're being straight up about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to have a, a running game that's going to be consistently good, you got to have somebody step up and, and take the bulls by the horns. Uh, and you got to have your offensive block it up, offensive line block it up. They just aren't doing it. So, and, and part of the reason that you know, you're, you're throwing the ball coming back from 20 points down, yeah. that's part of it. So... Oh, I was ready. I was ready to abandon the run in the first quarter. Oh, you're always ready to abandon the run. (laughs) Uh, When they had to run, once again, we'll give credit. Just like in the first week, when they had to run to run out the clock, the Ravens did a pretty good job of it. They didn't. They didn't salt it all away this time. The Browns still had an opportunity to come back down, but they they had a pretty good final offensive drive. Would have liked to stick in the end zone there, Um, but you got a field goal, I believe. Yeah, field goal. Yeah. Uh, So. It's got to improve. I, I think it has to improve. You don't want to ever run the ball, ever. <laughs> spread it out. Yeah, spread it out, maybe. Throw it 65 times a game. That's what I love. Well, for future references on the podcast, if you ever hear this noise, <laughs> that is Garrett <laughs> or I saying, let's go four wide and hit the long ball. Oh, yeah. Or just the short, the long handoffs. I like to call them the long handoffs, where you go ahead and three yards, Steve Smith, okay, he can maybe make a few guys miss. So that's counterintuitive to the... No, that that to me implies the bomb. Spread them out, and then you can work. Is there a second sound for the bomb? (laughs) No, I don't. That was bad. Um, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) What about the defense, though? Because like we're talking a lot about the we're talking a lot about the offense. Defense to me, they don't give up. You know, they had the bad first quarter. I just, what's the real defense? I, I think the the real defense is still what we saw for. Three quarters of the game, like I said at and the start, and then I guess four quarters against the Bills. Exactly, so it's seven quarters. To I'm line. I'm really not that concerned about the defense. Like the secondary held uh, held McCown under 300 yards. It's a lot better than the 5,000 yards he threw <laughs> against 457, whatever it was. Golly, uh, so really not that bad. They the defense gets credit for basically knocking him out of the game. Even though he kept playing, he was not the same quarterback. You get credit for that. Yeah, you get him shots. enough to do that. Uh, so the defense came up with a game-sealing interception at the end, C.J. Mosley. So Weddle had a Weddle had a pick that, that was pretty big in getting that field goal before halftime. So I give the defense credit. I'm still not very too, too worried about that group. I still want to see Elvis Zunerville get back on the field. They need a little bit more of that pass rush. It's going to get even filthier when he does. But um, – 
Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with where the defense is right now. All right, so the defense is going to get tested this week against Jacksonville. Jacksonville 0-2. Yep. But they've got big play targets. They've got Allen Robinson. They've got Allen Hearns, these big play receivers. Mm-hmm. They've got – a lot of people look at Jacksonville and they feel like they're one of the more talented teams in the NFL. It's a they've young, up-and-coming team. That's what everyone says. Young quarterback, a lot of high draft picks that have been collected over the years. But they are coming off a big loss against – San Diego, and they're 38-14. They're 0-2 right now. Their season's kind of on the line right now because they were a trendy uh, playoff team pick. Are you saying this is a must-win game for the Jacks? I bet people in Jacksonville, if you go talk to the people in Jacksonville, they would absolutely say this is a must-win game. Must-win. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember last year after an 0-2 start here in Baltimore? That third game certainly felt like a must-win game at home. That was uh, Steelers, I believe, right? No, it was at the Browns at home, and it was a loss. And the season obviously went the way it did. So, you know, I bet a lot of people in Jacksonville feel like this is a must-win game. So, you know, they're going to come out, you would think, playing with a lot. Guns a-blazing. Yeah, playing with a lot to prove. So do you like a team coming off a – do you like playing a team that's coming off of a blowout loss like they had last week against San Diego? Yeah, I'd rather face a team coming off a blowout loss than a blowout victory, to be honest. Because I think that – Yes, will they be motivated, backs up against the wall, all that stuff? Sure. But if you come out, and, and this is an if, because the Ravens haven't started off games too well so far, uh, but if you can come out and, and smack them in the mouth off the, off the snap, that team coming off a blowout loss, I think it starts to creep in the back of their head. Oh, boy, not this again. Yeah. well, That's, that's, a, that's a Jungle Book reference. It makes, the, it makes the first quarter of the game even more... I guess significant, but does it? I, I don't know. I guess I kind of refute that point because the Ravens did everything wrong in the first quarter of of Sunday's game, and they still came back from a twenty nothing deficit. So well, like, because they didn't have the not this again feeling creeping up in the back of their head, because like we were saying this whole time, the Ravens have been in a lot of these dogfights. They've been behind in one games. They've done all this stuff, so they have. They're fine with this situation. I think they're more comfortable. All that stuff. Is there some mething? Yes. But it's not divisive <laughs> on the sideline. Right? Yeah, I don't now, – Now, it's more to the Cleveland Browns point that we were saying, right? If you, it, The Cleveland Browns, when they start losing or blowing a lead or losing in, in a Browns fashion, then it starts to creep in their heads, not this again. And I think a team coming off a blowout loss, that is lingering in the back of their heads. And if you start to get smacked again, uh, I think that things can spiral – downhill quickly you know what's another interesting piece of this game is the fact that uh these two teams are kind of draft linked and they will be some of the players they're going to be sort of connected at the hip throughout their careers you know kind of how there's always like the joe flacco matt ryan thing Mm -hmm. talk about it nine years later we're going to be talking about so go back this is a little history jags had pick number five they took jalen ramsey and the ravens uh talked about trading up for that pick um, mm-hmm. tr- swapping picks and also giving up a third. So the Ravens end up with Ronnie Stanton. They wanted to. They wanted to trade up. Yeah. They didn't just talk about it. They wanted to trade up and get Jalen Ramsey. But they didn't want to give up a third-round pick in order Correct. to do they it. They were going to trade up ahead of Jacksonville. They were going to trade with Dallas. Yeah, but they didn't want to give up a third-round pick. So, and then in the second round, there's a lot of people who thought the Ravens were going to take Miles Jack. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Myself included. You, you and your mock draft had the Ravens taking Miles Jack. <laughs> At pick number six. Sweet job. <laughs> they passed on him not once, but twice. That was before the injury stuff. Uh, and, then, and then the Ravens end up taking Correa out of Boise State mm-hmm. in the second round. And then, of course, obviously, uh, 
Jacksonville took Miles Jack. A different linebacker who they have since moved to inside linebacker. So, Ravens end up with Ronnie Stanley, Kamale Correa. Uh, Jacksonville ends up with Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack. The Ravens also have Bronson Kafusi in that. So, it'll be it's kind of like an interesting dynamic here with these two teams and, and the draft Absolutely. connection. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, won't, I won't shy away from it. I was a little heartbroken during the draft because I wanted Miles Jack. Made no bones about it. Yeah. And so when he's sitting there on a silver platter – Round two, I'm like, here we go! <laughs> Line them up. I've got my Miles Jack jersey already pre-ordered, customized jersey, Jack on the back. I'm ready to go. I was pretty surprised. I was more than surprised when they traded back and did not take Miles Jack. Now that, I think, was medical. We don't know what the final verdict was from the Ravens doctors, but they could have very well come back and said, this guy has three years in the league. Not in my professional opinion, you know, as a doctor, it's not worth spending yeah, a second-round yeah. pick on him. Um, so that could have been the case, and, and that still has yet to be seen. Um, and and I like Jalen Ramsey a lot, too. I, I was holding out hope that the Ravens are going to get him because I, th- I think they need another lockdown cornerback. Now the secondary's been pretty good so far, so maybe they, in retro- now with hindsight, maybe not as much. Um and I'll say this, I like Ronnie Stanley a lot. And uh, where would the Ravens be without Ronnie Stanley right now? We'd probably have Eugene Monroe still at left tackle if he wanted to even continue playing football. Right, We're not sure that he did. Yeah. So if, if, you, if you didn't pick Ronnie Stanley at six, if you didn't get Ronnie, and Eugene, let's say, he just retired. Yep. You'd probably Jake, have James Hurst. James Hurst would be your starting left tackle, or you probably would have gotten Jake, you know, they went for Jake Long. They probably would have gotten somebody else. Potentially. All right, so snap judgment here between these two, between these guys. All right, Ronnie Stanley and, and Jalen Ramsey. To me, they're pretty much similar through their first two games. They're both starters. They're both playing well. You know, when you look at what they've done, both starting, both playing well. Miles Jack and KC are kind of the same th- same way. Jack has been mostly a special teamer. He got on the field for 16 snaps last week, uh, and Correa didn't play any defensive snaps. So, but but it's kind of funny. Both of these guys are kind of doing. All four of these guys are kind of doing the same thing in right. terms of like when you compare them. And Kafusi's out for the year. Kafusi's out for the year with a broken ankle, which right. obviously you can't predict or can't right. blame him for that. So it's very interesting. But I'll tell you this. One, I, one thing I really hope, and you know, when I was upset that they didn't pick Miles Jack, I, sa- I said then, this guy's going to make us pay in week three. Just wait. We go down to Jacksonville, and here You're comes Miles Jack interception, Jalen Ramsey interception. But I don't, I'm not feeling that way anymore. I'm feeling I'm Mr. Optimistic. Yeah, that'll be a storyline if that were to happen. So uh, before we before we end this, can we quickly? It's pumpkin beer season. Oh we yeah, we didn't put it on the rundown, but that was a mistake. Yeah, pumpkin beer season, big I boy. You, did I tell you? So I was in Cleveland, obviously, and I had first pumpkin beer of the season. That now, because nice. I've been struggling, and this is we we want to hear what you guys think. So email the lounge at ravens.nfl.net because we have this debate constantly. How early is too early for pumpkin beer? Because it starts hitting shelves like August one, which to me, if it's that warm, no shot. It's got a the calendar technically has to at least turn to fall. Last week when it got it got cool over the weekend a little bit, I was like, it's time. But now it's kind of warming back up. I now know. you got to put them back away. Break out the old summer ales again. <laughs> I don't think this is I, – I am a firm believer you got to wait on pumpkin beer 
it's got to be 50 degrees at some point in the day. That, evening. No, no. That's it way too late. It could be 58, 59. That's, no, it's too late. I think if you're in the 60s. Better be low 60s. I'm not talking to 68 degrees having a pumpkin beer. It's got to be low 60s. And then you're to, drinking them all the way into March? No, it's pumpkin <laughs> beer season. It, it starts like October 1 and it ends November 15th. It's a great six weeks during that time, but you can't press it. You can't bring it too early. Everyone wants to make it too early. I struggle with this, though. You know, I walk through and I see all the pumpkin beers. There's like 175 of them these days. And I want to get one of those six packs, but I keep telling myself, you got to wait until it's, it's the appropriate time. And, and we're getting close, but I don't think we're there yet. Well, fans, you know what keeps Garrett up at night. The, <laughs> it's pumpkin beer season. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Email us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. Hey, tell us what your favorite pumpkin beer is. We'd love to know. We would love to read that. Yeah. Uh, and make sure you're rating and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with Jimmy Smith and Sharice Wright on Thursday. Mm-hmm.